morning, everybody. Pastor Harvey here again with you today. We're celebrating our fourth service in this FH Strong uh, series that we're doing. One of the most beautiful things that we're doing is, is that we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he gives us strength in the face of adversity in the world that we're living in today. Last week, we heard about Heather's story, my daughter-in-law, who fell 50 feet off the cliff uh, there, that waterfall in, in Hawaii, and how she survived and how she found strength in relying upon God. This morning, we're going to hear from Dan and Jen Frisky and the story of how they too, in their family, as they faced difficult times, difficult decisions, and adversity, how they leaned on their faith in Christ uh, to lead them through. So join me in listening to Dan and Jennifer's story. homeschool. I grew up going to an elementary um, public school. Then I went to private school for junior high and part of high school and I ended up graduating from a public high school. Honestly, I thought homeschoolers were unsocialized nerds, especially Dan. Yeah, <laughs> I was actually homeschooled my uh, full-time through my entire elementary years and then part-time through junior high where I actually met Jen. Uh, I enjoyed it, but I don't think I appreciated it as much as I could have. Um, so when we were dating, remember when we were talking to each other about homeschooling, and you said I would never homeschool, and very emphatically, <laughs> I would never homeschool. And my reaction at the time was, that's no problem, you know, I don't really have that desire myself, right? When Caitlin and Bruce were both under two, we took in a little girl for a temporary housing, and every day I took her to her elementary school, which was in our neighborhood, and I was very unimpressed with the language that elementary school kids were using and second graders asking each other if they look sexy today. At that moment, I said, no way, we are never sending our kids to public school living in California. We looked into some private school options, um, too, way too expensive for our budget. We started looking into homeschool, went to a few homeschool presentations, but I had a lot of self-doubt if I was smart enough, our marriage was, kind of struggling, we were going through therapy. I couldn't imagine putting extra homeschool stress and a burden on us. We had food allergy issues with Bruce, speech language. There was a lot of factors that made that a big no for us at the time. So then I found out I was pregnant for uh, the third time. And later that day we went into the ultrasound and surprise, we were having twins. <laughs> twins, that was a very um, surreal moment of that drive home. We made the decision right then to move like a little bittersweet moment we made the announcement of pregnancy with twins and in almost in the same, same sense and we're we are moving away and we moved to idaho shortly uh, shortly after the twins were born so now we're in idaho and we start researching where to put our kids here uh, we did not really pray about it a ton um we just decided okay we'll put caitlin in a christian private school and bruce was in the public preschool for special education with speech therapy Fast forward, it's time for Bruce to transition out of preschool and go into kindergarten, although I did not feel like he was ready. And all of a sudden, the anxiety and the stress builds on my shoulders of what to do. We decided to put him into the private school, which meant no IEP anymore. It also meant lots of therapy at lots of different locations. In that 
process, he was um, diagnosed with um, selective mutism. And um, he wasn't talking at all to anyone at school and overcome by anxiety. The weight on my shoulders of all my dreams of how I wanted our family to be raised um, shattered. And um, I had a real moment of guilt that I had let outside pressures and outside influences tell me that I couldn't homeschool a special needs child. So then we uh, ultimately recruited again, right? And then uh, we just sat back and let God change our hearts. And uh, we prayed for God to change our hearts and our values. We researched a lot. Um, we talked. We sought to, uh, the advice of a lot of different opinions. Um, and we both committed to uh, not rushing the decision too quickly, right? And we said, let's not rush into this. Let's give it time. And let's, uh, let, let's make the right decision, right? And he really kept putting those dreaded words of homeschool um, on our hearts. And so... We started researching, praying. Um, Idaho is way different than California when it comes to homeschool rules and regulations. And because there are none here, which was even more intimidating and even more place for Satan to put doubt in my head. But um, by God's grace, he has put a whole bunch of friends and mentors in our lives to help coach, coach us and mentor us in this direction. And... Um, after lots and lots of research, prayer, mentoring, um, God just covered uh, mostly my anxiety about homeschooling um, with his peace and direction. I think it's funny because one of my fears of homeschooling was giving up all of these freedoms. And since we've chosen homeschool, I have gained all this freedom. And so it's funny how I can look back and think of the time where I told Dan back when we were dating 12 years ago that I would never, ever homeschool. And God just took our marriage and took all these paths to direct us to homeschool and how he's carried this out for us and how really putting our trust in him has covered us with peace and direction in this area of our lives together. So there Jennifer said, putting our trust in him has given us peace and direction about how to live our lives. If you're a parent, you know that feeling, or maybe you've been in that experience, or you know people that have, where you go to a doctor's office and you hear those words, you take that deep breath and say, you, you wait for the word diagnosis, and then you wait for that after that. Those are the moments when the winds of life blow, and they blow hard and strong in our face and in our lives, and it's in those moments that we need Jesus strong. This sermon series about being FH strong is all about being Jesus strong, because we need him in our lives to face the headwinds that will come in our lives. The world around us is on fire. The world around us is on fire. There are, there, the, the structures that we know are some of them crumbling, some of them being attacked. All kinds of things are happening in our world. What does it look like if you and I, in the midst of adversity, trust and believe in Jesus and we would follow him? Our theme verse during this sermon series has been out of John chapter 16, verse 33. And in that celebration of the word of God, here's what we read today. I have told you these things, Jesus said this 2,000 years ago, that in me you may have peace. 
In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus knew we would have difficulty in our day and age, and he knew that you and I would have to face that as followers of Christ. Today we're going to talk about how big the sea is in your Christian walk and in my Christian walk. Do we have a small sea or do we have a big sea? The times we're living in have one great big desire in our, uh, to push us in, in one great big direction, and that is this, to be fearful, to be fearful. There's a lot to be worried about. I talked about last week. There are concerns, worries, and fears. Where do we go with those things? The three weeks we've talked about so far have involved three different sermons, uh, and, and I want to just recap them for you today. One of them is, is that in FH Strong, we have to choose courage. Courage is not something you buy at Walmart. Courage is not something that some of us were born with and others didn't get. Courage is a choice that says this, I will face what's in front of me, and I will not turn in defeat. I will face what's in front of me, but I do that with my God before me. Number two, the second step is that we sharpen our character. It's in these moments that God says, hey, we're going to sharpen you up. We're going to work on you. We're going to develop you. We're going to grow you and make you into the person that I've called you to be. The third one we did last week was about relying on God's power. One of the great mistakes we make in our lives is that we think we have to be the ones to muster all the strength. Today, we're going to talk about the fourth one, and that fourth one is up here, and that is this, is that living an FH strong life, more importantly, living a Jesus strong life, requires that you and I have to learn to focus. You and I have to learn to be able to take all the distractions around us in the world and say, you know what, this is what I shall go and do. This is where I will look, uh, and this is where I will go. Today, we're going to talk about how we focus our lives Catch me, it's not just focus, but focus our lives on what matters, what matters. The first one is this, is that I want you to read, I want you to join me here in reading Luke chapter 9, because in Luke chapter 9, we read the story about Jesus turning his face towards Jerusalem and heading there for the final days of his lives. I want you to read this with me here in Luke chapter 9. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven... So get this, right before Jesus knows his life is about to come to an end, 33 years in, his, his life is about to finish, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. When we feel things pressing in, it's in that moment that we have to actually focus more. That's when our focus is required. When the game is on the line, when life is on the line, when difficulty is in front of us, it's focus that sees us through. We're going to talk about how we get to that place in focus. But before we do that, I want to ask you one question. Jesus knew where he was headed. Jesus knew where he was headed. Do you know where you're headed? Do you know the direction of your life? Or are you like that pinball that comes around and it goes from one bumper to another bumper to another bumper and you live a reactive life rather than a focused, proactive life? This isn't some seminar about positive thinking or any of that, but it is a place where we are coming and learning about Jesus Christ who teaches us to walk a focused life and a life that actually has purpose to it. I want all of you to do me a favor. I know we don't do this in church, but we're, you know, church online, church in-house today. Pull out your phones. Everybody get your phone out, and I want to show you uh, an important thing about your phones. If you don't have your phone with you, no worries. You don't have to pull it out, but just pull your phone out. I'm I'm not going to ask for your passwords. I'm not going to do anything like that, but there's an important thing that happens with phones, and that is those app developers. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of apps that are out there, right? And you know what the holy grail of app development is? Is to get on your number one screen. 
So if you have an Apple, you have a number one screen. If you have an Android, you also have a home screen. That's your main screen that's right there, right? What's on your screen is what you prioritize, and they want to get on that screen, the number one screen. I'll give me a picture here of my screen. I want you to see it for just a second. So this is a picture of me, well, behind the scenes of all those apps. There's a picture of myself and my daughter, Brenna. Brenna's a soccer star, uh, has played all through high school and in club and all those kinds of things. Uh, and she's finished up this last year. She's going to go to college. She chose not to play soccer in college, but she, she could tell you the team, uh, the team rosters for every team in the, in the uh, English Premier League. Brenna loves soccer. Her favorite team is Man City. So my back screen here is this, is that last year we'd saved up our money. Her and I flew to England, and we watched the Man City game right there on the pitch on the seventh row up. It was unbelievable. Well, you know what? A priority in my life... The Friesens made this decision a long time ago. When I was an intern at Boulder Valley Christian Church, someone came up to me, grabbed my hand, put a $100 bill in my hand, and he said, spend your life and spend your money collecting memories with people that matter, not stuff that will get old and rust. Spend your life collecting memories with people that matter, not stuff that will collect dust. That picture in the back of that screen is actually a demonstration of the fact that we live by priorities. Are we perfect? (laughs) By far, I mean, no way in, 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 in any way. But we live by our priorities. I want you to see the home screen as well. So when you take your phone out, right, what you do is, is that you use that thumb, right? That thumb is what moves most of all the stuff around on your phone. Well, the most important apps, actually, are down there on the bottom. And then from there, you have another layer and another layer and another layer. These apps are almost like my second page. Everything I do, most, I would say 90% of what I do every day is from this row down. Look at what's on my rows, right? Is that here, it's how I connect with people. Here's how I keep working and tracking on jobs and work and things that I'm working on. Here's where I go find questions, or when I have questions, I go look for information. I Google it or research it or whatever. And then over here is my uh, app called Waze, which drives me around all the crazy traffic that you guys do on these roads, right? It's right here on the bottom. So we've just bought, uh, we just sold, uh, selling our house, and we're buying a house here. And, and so to tell you what kind of faith we have, we bought a house, or we're buying a house on Chinden and Eagle. Is that not faith or what, right? Bring on the traffic. I want you to see something here is that I've got another layer of apps. App number one here is my Telegram app. That's where I do the stuff when I work for the CIA. Uh, it's encrypted end to end. This is the one I work on. I have a uh, company that I do work with in England, and I do all that on WhatsApp, and then here's my regular messages that are right there. Then from here, I've got two weather apps, because tell me, does the weather ever get it right or not? So I have two weather apps. I bounce back and forth between them. I have the Holy Bible app. I have an app store to add more apps. I have my reminders, of which I have 10 of them, and they're screaming at me right now as well. Uh, I have FaceTime to look at my family. I have my VPN, and then I have YouTube, and I watch church and whatever things on there. What do you have on yours? What do you have on yours? They'll tell you what your priorities are. They'll tell you what you do mainly. What's on your main screen speaks to the priorities that you and I have in our lives. The first point that we are to have in our lives is that Jesus prioritized his life and he lived by priorities. That's point number one. The second thing that Jesus did in following and living with a life of focus is that he talks about what it means to count the cost. So once we prioritize, then we have to say, okay, what is it going to cost me to live by those priorities? I want you to see uh, the verses that are here in Luke chapter 9, 
that speak to this. So the next verse is, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, the foxes have dens, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know what he was saying to this guy? He said, you say you want to follow me, but you have no idea what it means to truly follow me. The cost of following Jesus is a real cost in our lives. But I would also contend with you that I think that the, lo- the cost of non-followership may be even higher than that. The cost of non-followership includes having no peace, includes having no place to turn when difficult times come. Christianity, I know, has been mocked. It has been mocked in our culture. It's been mocked in our schools. It's been mocked in the, in the streets. It's been mocked in the legislature. It's been mocked up and down the street. But you know what? Is that Christianity is the, the glue that is holding together lives of people today in these difficult hours. That's why they're trying to deconstruct all these other things. In the meantime, what we continue to do is walk with God because we know that it comes with a cost. We know it comes with a cost. The cost of not following him is what it looks like out in our culture today. Those are the costs. There's a guy named Dallas Willard 20-some years ago, 30-some years ago. He wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And Dallas Willard uh, wrote this, uh, uh, this little quip here about non-discipleship. Maybe you resonate with this. Non-discipleship costs us abiding peace. It costs us a life penetrated throughout by love. Non-discipleship costs us faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. Non-discipleship costs costs us the hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, non-discipleship costs us exactly the abundant life that Jesus offered us. See, people talk about the cost of following Jesus. I think there's a greater cost. The greater cost is that we follow ourselves. Because every one of us are following someone. This little thing right here will tell you where you've gone. It will tell you what your priorities are, and it'll tell us where we put our faith as well. The first thing Jesus said was that we have to prioritize our lives. The second thing is he looked at that young man and he said, you're going to have to count the cost. I would ask you, count the cost on both sides of that. When we do that, there's a great benefit and an outcome. It's seen in verses 59 to 62. That outcome is is that God gives us clarity about how we live our lives. Focus gives you clarity about what you're looking at. One of the great struggles going on in our culture right now is people are going, I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go. We lack clarity in our lives. Jesus did not intend that for us as believers. He's called us to actually have a greater clarity in the midst of it all. Look at verses 59 to 62, and Jesus actually talks about people that struggle with clarity. Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Is Jesus against family? Well, absolutely not. What Jesus was saying here to this person was this, is that you have to begin with prioritizing God in your life first, and then from there, you'll know the right things about how we live in our families. Some of us struggle with this verse because we're like, wait a minute, is God telling me not to care for my family? He's not saying that. What he's saying is, is that when we care for God first, it will give us a right order about how we go live our lives with others. There's another verse here, just following on. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back uh, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
Is Jesus saying that we, don't, we shouldn't have those good integral relationships with our family? Of course he's not. But what he's saying is this, is that they cannot be your priority. Do you know this? Is that people in our lives can run our lives and they can ruin our lives. You know the one letter difference between someone running our life and ruining our life? I. I. I have the choice to decide if people are going to run my life or if people are going to ruin my life. The struggle in our world right now is, is that it really takes one tweet to destroy someone's soul. It takes one tweet to destroy someone's reputation. It takes 140 characters or less to, to spiral someone out of control to where they lose everything they have. That's the cancel culture. That's the cancel world we're living in that says, aha, I got you. Do you want to know what the cost of non-discipleship is? Go read tomorrow's paper. That's the cost. Jesus has a better way. I would ask you this, is that do you know clarity in the relationships around you? When Jen and Dan talked about the scenarios that they had to make, they had all kinds of decisions that they had to make, and they had to build clarity in their relationship, because even then, Jen said, I I don't want to homeschool. I don't want to do all that. Well, the necessity of their lives caused them to be able to have a conversation to say, you know what? This is what we are called to do, and we're going to follow God for the well-being of our children. They made a godly decision in that. How about you and I? How do you and I make decisions? Do we flip a coin? Do we figure out what's on our phone and say, yeah, well, I guess we'll do that? What are we doing is a question that every one of us should ask. Let me show you three outcomes that I think that come, uh, three blessings that come from living a life with focus. Number one is that we have clarity, which leads to winning at life, winning at life. God did not call on us to lose at life. God's idea is that we would win at life. It's in the book. It's in Philippians chapter 3 that we would prevail in our lives. The second thing is, is that victories in life lead to momentum in life. Victories in life lead to momentum in life. And the sweet spot of life, friends, is momentum. Momentum is a sweet spot of life in every form or fashion. I want to ask you for just a moment. As I want to ask you to allow me to sort of geek out with you for a moment. I went on the MIT website. They gave me a waiver. They said, Harv, Doug qualifies. You're going to have to ask him for a pass. So I got a hall pass, went on the MIT website, and I looked up about the notion and the progression of momentum. But I want you to, to, to hear me on this for a second. Is that you know what a lot of successful people have in common? Lots of different business plans, lots of different ideas about how to do something. You know what they, you know what they strive for is momentum. Success-driven, focus-driven momentum. Momentum in life. Where does momentum come from? Momentum comes from focus. Focus is that people know what to do, and you want to know importantly? They know what not to do. You know the most powerful word in your life that could and should be? It's not what you say yes to, it's what you say no to. You have to know what to say no to. Being a follower of Jesus Christ helps us to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. I'll give you a little Harvey dictum along the way, okay? Easier to get into stuff than it is to get out of stuff. It's easier to get into stuff than it is to get out of stuff. It's easier to get into a business partnership than it is to get out of a partnership. It's easier to get into a relationship than it is to get out of a relationship. It's easier to buy something than to take it back. Amen? (laughs) Amen. I heard a couple real loud amens. Let's keep moving. The law of conservation of momentum. I want you to see this law, and I've got these balls up here, not because I lack the ability to kind of keep a coherent thought, but I thought this idea might explain a little bit of what we should see. 
uh, what we need to understand about momentum because momentum is what successful people have in their lives. And you look at me and think, man, their life's easy. It's all great. It's simple. This went their way and that went their way. I'll tell you this is I think that focus, focus led to victories. Victories led to momentum and momentum does what? It gets you up onto another plane to where things start to accelerate. Here's what momentum looks like, okay? Is that MIT says that here's the equation of momentum. P equals momentum, M equals mass, V equals velocity. What this, what this principle says is this, is that momentum is when something of mass meets up, with some, meets up with something else of mass, and the velocity that they have going together, all that comes together, mass times velocity creates momentum, and that energy is then diffused. Well, you can have things that abrupt momentum where you hit together, or you can have things that actually come alongside each other, and there's momentum where they come along, and they're now moving in the right pattern. There's a biblical overlay to momentum as well, and that is the spiritual life comes with God's gift of the Holy Spirit, where he'll say, I will give you momentum. Some of us look at other people's lives and we go, wow, they know how to pray, or wow, they know how to do this. You know what they a lot of times have had? They have focused long enough to get a few small victories to where momentum is now on their side. The spiritual overlay, or the biblical overlay of conservation of momentum, this physical law that is at play in our world, is also at play in your life and in my life. It looks like this. The momentum equals the momentum of your spiritual life. Mass is, the mass is how big you believe your God is. And the third one is velocity, and that is how quick you turn to him. If velocity is how quick we turn to God, mass is, is that when we connect with God. And here's the, here's the revolution that many of us need to experience today. I've got these four balls up here today, all right? So we've got this size, we've got this size, and we've got this size. The capacity of your life is in direct proportion. This is a, this is a physical law and a spiritual law to the size of your God. The size of your God will determine the momentum of your life. Here's the great mistake we make in cultural Christianity. We make God out to be a little bitty God. We make God out to be this small little bitty God, and we go, you know, I go, I pray, I do a few things. The pastor, what does the pastor do? The pastor's spiritual furniture, right? They're just part of the set, part of the whole gig. We're all here, and we just have a small C God. We just, you know, small C Christ, and we're doing a little bit. Some of us then get to another place where God maybe gets bigger in our lives. The Friskies talk about God growing in their life. And then maybe what we do is we go to another place where God gets a little bigger in our lives. And then maybe we get to the place where we actually begin to see how big God is. I know this is not going to surprise those of you who know me. I was a kid that wanted the big ball, right? I had a paper route from the day I was nine years old. And I got to tell you, I spent probably 30% of proceeds on glass, because I knew how to find a window, hit it hard, do whatever it was. But you know what? It was like, if it's bigger, it might be better. Well, you know what? With God, God is that big God. You know the mistake we're making as Christians? We look at our culture. We look at the news at night. We look at the paper. We look at different indices along the way, and we go, oh, man, there's no way we can do it. What God invites us to do is to look at him and say, look how big I am. I am bigger than this. But you know what the biggest thing that has to happen in our lives is? is that we have to come to this place where we see how big God is compared to how big our problems are. You know what most of us do? Is that we make God this size. We make God this big and we make our problems this big. These are our problems, this is our God. You want a Copernican revolution? What did Copernicus talk about? He said the, the earth revolves around the sun, not the sun around the earth, right? You want a Copernican revolution in your life? 
see God for the big God he is. See God for the big God he is. Because what happens is this, is that mass times velocity equals momentum. Our God is big, and the quicker I turn to him, the further I go. The further I go. That's how our God works. That's how our God looks into our lives. Because that's called spiritual momentum. I want you to see... uh, that the benefits that come from momentum and focus. There are benefits that happen in all of our lives if we're willing to keep after it. And we do start out with it like this, and then we move to this. And you know what this is? This right here is God is there. This is I begin to pray and read his word. This is I begin to let his word impact my life. That is I finally figured out who God is, and he's big enough to make it into my marriage. He's big enough to make it in my finances. He's big enough to make it into my Monday, not just my Sunday. When we get momentum in our lives, you guys, we learn momentum and we build and gain it in our self-confidence, in our purpose, uh, in our relationships, in our finances, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our health. I mean, think about this, is that why are we all wearing one of these? We're all bringing these around. You got to have these to go into a lot of places, right? You know, the weird thing about it is, I'm not saying these are wrong. I'm not, please don't tweet on me about this and Tell me we're doing everything wrong or whatever like that. But there's a sneaking suspicion that most of us have that says this is probably not big enough to really make a difference. Fair? It looks like we are, but I'm not sure if it does. So some of us have got N95s and others of us have done other things. And I'm not mocking social distancing. I'm not mocking you know, all that. I'm just saying this. When I wear my mask, I still believe that God's the red ball, not the little ball. Fair? And if I'm called to face it, I will face it. And I pray I, when I, if I did face it, that I'm not going to give it to someone else because I don't want to be a part of the problem. Christians are, Christians are called to be a part of the solution, not the problem. I want to, before we go past this and we have, you know, our little kumbaya, kumbaya moments and we all hold hands, we go, okay, great, we're done, let's go eat, and like that. I just want to warn you about the dangers, the dangers of not seeing God for the big God he is. Before I do that, I want to set it up for just a quick moment. So our kids have been going to college now. I've been looking at colleges for the last eight years. And we have some friends who also, they went and looked at colleges. And one of them went and looked at Texas Christian University. And the kid was going to go to school down there. And, and you know, they have the marketing ideas when you come in. And they tell you about the school and all those sorts of things. And the message that they heard at TCU was this. The C at TCU can be as small or as big as you want it to be. Now, I get what they're saying about this, okay? I was a non-Christian playing sports in college, and I get that. And they invited me in, and it was welcoming and all like that. The C can mean we're not going to, the small C can mean we're not going to stick it down your throat. But at the other side of it is, is that if we're going to say it's just about a small C God, we, as opposed to a big C God, what we might be saying as well is our God doesn't really matter that much in our lives. Can you see that message? Be careful of that message. Be very, very careful of that message because the dangers of living without, without focus, the dangers of living without God are this. You get lost in trying to please people. You get lost constantly trying to figure out how you please that boss or please that spouse or please that neighbor or please that parent or please your sibling or please whoever it is in your life. And if your whole life is about pleasing other people, I'll tell you this, you'll never be good enough. The other great danger of having a small C God is this, is that you will get should on all your life. Be very careful to hear what I said and what I didn't say. You should go do this. You should go buy that. 
You should try this job. You should try this. You should go out on a date with him. You should go out on a date with her. The world is filled with shoulds. Hear me on this. Filter those shoulds through the cross of Jesus Christ or you'll live the tyranny of having been should on your whole life. Okay? Be careful with that. The third one is you'll live a fear-based life. Are we called to be cautious? Absolutely. Are we called to be prudent? Absolutely. Are we called to be wise? Absolutely. Are we called to live by fear? No and never. No and never. We don't live by fear. We live by faith and the love of God and the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. Those are the dangers of living a life without focus. There are three big repercussions. And if you're a young person hearing this today, hear me on this, okay? This is very, very, very important to hear is that the three big repercussions of living a fear-based life are this, the fear of missing out, the fear of messing up, and the fear of crashing down. You see that in our world? We fear missing out, we fear messing up, and we fear our life's gonna come crashing down. That is a fear-based life. God called us to something better, amen? He called us to something better. I want you to see that Jesus himself was a resolute God and that he had a resolution about his focus. And in chapter 9 of Luke, verse 51, go back to the first verse that we started with this morning, we see that Jesus, even though the time was approaching for him to be taken up to heaven, and by the way, before that was going to happen, he was going to stand in front of Pilate, he was going to hang on a cross, he was going to be mocked and ridiculed and belittled. The thing he faced, none of us or very few of us maybe will ever have to face But what he faced did not stop him from going to Jerusalem. What are you being stopped from going right now? Where are you living in fear right now? Where are you in your life maybe not appropriating the truth and the beauty and the blessing and the goodness of God? Maybe it's a time to reprioritize the things that are mattering in your life. Maybe it's a time to recategorize those things that have taken over that front screen of your phone or your computer. Maybe it's a time where you say, I'm going to bring the big ball God into my life and ask him for him to bring his mass with my velocity and create momentum. F.H. Strong, we choose courage, we sharpen our character, we rely on God's power, and we focus on God to gain momentum. Amen? May the word of God bless you today, and may you and I have the courage to walk in that way together. Peace of Christ. What a great message. I learned a long time ago that it is not enough just to hear an inspiring message. I need to act on it as well. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We need to do what it says, and that means take the next step. Some of you need to get baptized. Simply text FH Baptism to 97000. If you need someone to pray with you, text prayer to 97000. If you need to discover your personal ministry, then text FH Serve to 97000. I am asking you to take your next step in your journey of faith today. Finally, for everyone doing church at home, keep the conversation going and do the discussion questions. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.